Right out of Dante's Inferno, it's the IGN Digigods. Please welcome two cracked units, outwitted and outfought by some Earth robot, and an antique from storage, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Oh my goodness, the references the listeners send in. Corey, who sent that one in for us? Please. That was brought to you by John Lusty. Lusty as in, I'm lusty for what's coming out of Dante's Inferno. No. If you know what I mean. No. I hope you don't. No. No, Corey. I don't. Oh, Corey. Oh, Corey. I love, I love having conversations with pre-recorded dialogue. You're not supposed to admit that. <laughs> Nobody knows that. Oh, everybody knows that. It's fun stuff. They're tired of the charade. Uh, they want you to just say it. Wait, you know what annoys me? What annoys you? When I rent a movie on Netflix, yeah. and I realize I've seen it already, but I forgot. <laughs> You're probably saying, what is this movie that I rented already and had already seen? Uh, Star Wars? No, exactly. It is the uh, Kurosawa film, uh, The Bad Sleep Well. I'm sorry. I've already seen it. Yeah. I forgot. That's all I got. That's all you got. Okay. All I know, Wade, is we are talking today about the greatest movie ever made. Which is Star Wars? No, Wade. You know what I'm talking about. I do. The movie that you will not give me. Oh. Even though you said you might have two, but I bet you don't. The movie that I saw my that I took my mother to see on opening day. (laughs) Really? Yeah, I did, and she loved it. She loved it. You know what she loved most? What? She loved the fact. Everyone's going to be like, "What? What kind of mom did you have?" She loved the fact that Isaac Hayes adorned his uh, Cadillac with uh, chandeliers. Damn right. Yeah. He's Duke of New York. She liked that. It's the best. She really dug that. Anyway, anybody who knows what we're talking about, you know where, you know what's coming. You know it, man. We've been waiting forever for this. Well, it's been on Blu-ray before, but it was just it was like a lame bare bones version. Lame. It was lame. I didn't even buy it. You know yep. what? I kept my DVD for this moment when Better. finally Better my life it. would be complete. Well, we got a lot of classic films, a lot of, lot of catalog titles this week, tons of stuff, stuff from Kino and stuff from uh, Olive and stuff from uh, Shout Factory. So we got a lot of that stuff to get to. But we're going to start with new movies or newish movies because there's like nothing. We got, we got five newish movies. Uh, so I'll, I'll knock two of these out real quickly. Uh, the first one is Everly. With Salma Hayek, which came out not too long ago, actually, like a month and a half ago, because I talked about this on the radio. Anyway, it's on Blu-ray. And here's the thing. Uh, Director Joe Lynch, this is a guy who's done some indie stuff, and he's really using this film as a resume piece. The whole movie, essentially, like 98% of the movie takes place in one apartment. Uh, And the idea is that Everly, played by Salma Hayek, is a woman who became... She she entered this life of prostitution for this uh, this Japanese yakuza slash pimp slash you know just all around horrible person, and um, has not seen her daughter in in years, and now she's decided to basically you know she's going to get out and he's not going to let her. So it's Salma Hayek um, essentially doing everything she can to use every gun and every weapon at her disposal to blow her way out of this building to be able to see her daughter again. Now, the film cheats in a few ways because the daughter eventually comes to her with her mom. And there are a lot of little these roundabout cheats that indie movies often do to try to excuse the fact that you never leave the single location. But that said, there's a lot of production value here, a lot of pyrotechnics, a lot. It gets ridiculous at the end. It just goes completely over the top cartoonish. But what you're looking at here is a bargain basement version of Kill Bill. Uh, you know, they, they basically want to do a Kill Bill film without leaving this one location, this one soundstage. And uh, in that regard, I, I, give, I give them props. I mean, I'm not going to say this is a great movie or recommend that anybody see it, but I'm impressed with what Joe Lynch did, given all the parameters and what he had to work with and how he shot it and how he put it together. Good job. So let's see what else you do when somebody hands you a bigger film. I think you, uh, I think you deserve it, Joe. So uh, bravo to you. This has a few special features on it. Uh, it's commentary. Joe gives you a little insight into how he put the thing together. Uh, along with his editor and producer. And uh, then there's a technical feature commentary, uh, also with the uh, with Joe Lynch and his cinematographer, and a music video. And that's pretty much it. So, um, but Everly with Salma Hayek, not bad, not bad. I, uh, you know, it's it's got its issues, but uh, it's not bad. It's kind of grown on me with time. I think I like it more now than when I reviewed it on NPR. Uh, John Cryer in uh, Hit by Lightning, along with Will Sasso and Stephanie uh, Sostak, I guess is how you uh, pronounce her name. Um, Mark, I have, here, here's my number one problem with, with uh, movies like this. Tell me that that 
that cover art of him in the in bed between the two of them with the gun in yeah, his hand. Yeah, just horribly photoshopped, photoshopped and to hell, isn't it? Horrible. Like that image does not appear in the movie. What? That, that is an image that they just they took a frame from the movie and then they photoshopped. But it's the, like the, it's, the gun it, in it's, it, But it, but look, there's there's six there's at least seven there's at least seven things going on. Which by the way you can't see because no, there 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 are like podcast. five different there's, elements from the movie that are all put together very awkwardly in one photoshop. There's John know. Cryer's head, but not John Cryer's body, and not John. Cryer's arm yeah. holding the gun. There's the woman, uh, not her body, not her arm. And there's Will Sasso, who looks like he's not even laying in that bed. He was they positioned him to look like he was laying in the bed. So essentially, um, I guess you know what um, John Cryer I think has a relationship with Ricky Blit. Ricky Blit is he, Ricky Blit might have read right and written for um, Family Guy. It sounds familiar. Yeah. I think the reason why Cryer is in this is because of Ricky Blit. I'm going to guess. Okay. Because well, otherwise, anyway. Cryer does not want for money. No, he doesn't. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a. Ultimately, the, this is not. This has nothing to do with the film. This image that is on the, is completely misleading. It makes you think it's some kind of a, you know, bedroom farce or something uh, wacky. Anyway, it, it's really not. It's a, uh, it's just a sweet little romantic comedy with uh, John Cryer basically doing what he does, which is kind of those insecure, nerdy guys who just want to find love, and. Uh, you know, he he finds the woman, but then things aren't quite as they seem. Yada yada. Fill in the second and the third act as you will. Um, so it, uh, you know, it's how do you how do you turn a horrible predicament into the love of your life? I, it's oh, it's cuteish, but nothing special. If you're only if you're a John Cryer fan. And then uh, Frank Whaley, man, not a bad director. Turns out, uh, did a little indie film called Like, like Sunday, Like Rain. Um, which is an interesting uh, little quirky movie with some really good performances in it, particularly uh, Deborah Messing and Leighton uh, Meester, who both do really, really good work here. And uh, it's about a 12-year-old uh, cello prodigy uh, and his very unusual life. And um, how, how it's, you know, the, the, the individual who uh, sort of rescues him from uh, obscurity and alienation and how that friendship uh, evolves. And I will tell you nothing further, but um, it could go into some places where you don't want it to go, and it could be handled much more awkwardly, but Frank Whaley really shows some chops in the way he handles it. Uh, This is released by Monterey. It is not getting a terribly wide release, but you should try to dig it up. Uh, Frank Whaley, a good actor, and turns out not a bad director. You know, so, the uh, uh, like like Sunday like rain. A V Club had an interesting interview with Frank Whaley. Pretty long too. Yeah. He talked about uh, working with um Sam Jackson because Whaley was the guy sitting in the chair in the apartment when Sam Jackson gave that famous right. Eze- Ezekiel speech right. in Pulp Fiction. That's right. So he talked about working with him there and he talked about being yelled at by Oliver Stone for not being prepared. And uh it's a cool little interview. I would definitely check that out. What I would not check out is um, Sweet Lorraine, which is a film starring Tatum O'Neill. Now, look, I I get that Tatum O'Neill is – she disappeared for years and she's getting older now, although she's still very beautiful. But she doesn't have to do stuff like this. No, she doesn't. come on, man. I mean, she's like – like, what would she she want an Oscar? I know. Stop that. She was was married to John McEnroe for crying out loud. She was married to John McEnroe for crying out loud. Anyway, it it, it all revolves around a mayoral campaign in New Jersey. And uh, Tatum O'Neill is married to a, mi- a minister, a, a Methodist minister, and uh, she's got this interesting past that sort of gets dredged up and becomes part of this mayoral race. A couple funny lines, very low budget, um, uh, you know, not that – it doesn't really have much to say necessarily about the state of political po- – state of politics today. Uh, it's just a little nothing of a comedy that I, I just cannot recommend and I really wish if Tatum O'Neill wants to act again, which, of course, we would all applaud, that she should go get herself an agent mm-hmm. or a better agent and end up with something better than Sweet Lorraine. All right, Mark. We're going to get into our uh, our classic films now. We've got we to gotta really, really roll through these. Escape from New York? That's well, a classic. Well, you know what? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe. Is there another movie that has Isaac Hayes with a, driving a Cadillac that has chandeliers on it? Let me think. Okay. Well, while you're thinking, I'm going to first talk about some other Shot Factory releases this week. Uh, these are some double features from the Scream Factory line, Carrie and the Rage Carrie 2. This is not the uh, Carrie, the original Carrie, uh, the Brian De Palma film with uh, Sissy Spacek. Uh, this is a 2002 film that starred Angela Bettis. And uh, a lot of you may not even have known this existed. And this is what's weird, is that uh, Carrie 2 was made in 1999, before this version of Carrie. So you have the sequel 
the 99 sequel to the, to the De Palma carry, along with a remake of the original one. It's kind of a weird double feature, but uh, it's got a, you know, a few extras. Uh, Cat Shea uh, does an audio commentary here. And uh, there's an alternate ending, and you know the the, the carry itself has an audio commentary with director David Carson. I mean, it's it is what it is. So it, it's, if, if if that appeals to you, I guess keep away from me. Um, I love this, Mark. I absolutely love this. I can't tell you how happy I am. Do you know how excited I am that we have a double feature of Breakin' and Breakin' Two Electric Boogaloo? Electric Boogaloo, Breakin' Two Electric Boogaloo, the most oft-made-fun and mocked movie title in history is finally on Blu-ray. It really is true. Oh, my God. In fact, they actually named a documentary, uh, Electric Boogaloo. Yes. The doc- Let me try that again. Yes. <laughs> Don't stop the recording. No, no, no. A documentary about Golden and Globus, the producers yes. of Breaking Two Electric Boogaloo. Yes. The documentary about them that came out last year was yeah. called... Electric Boogaloo. I'm going to tell you another funny story. So um, uh, when Matt Reeves was at USC, right, after he'd made a couple of films that, that starred yours truly, uh, he decided to make, you know, he, he went and made a, a, what they call it, the, the 310, I think it is, at, at USC. Anyway, it's a more substantial film. I was not in that one. But um, it was called Break In, okay, as in break in. It's, and it's about a guy who breaks it? It's still a great film. I hope Matt gets it out on DVD at some point. It was an awful lot of fun to shoot, too. Uh, shot, it, shot it in his mom's house. And it was about a guy who is a burglar, and he breaks into a house where it turns out uh, the mayor's daughter has been kidnapped by the, this, this horrible, huge, just nasty person who lives there. And so in, he becomes, a, you know, he's the burglar who winds up becoming, right, the hero. And, and to make a long story short, the end of it, Matt put a little, a little hilarious little tag at the end, you know, coming soon, break into electric boogaloo. And he misspelled boogaloo. And I remember we, we just could not get over it. Like, how do you misspell boogaloo? That's like the – but it didn't matter. It was still a funny joke. So anyway, break into Electric Boogaloo. And I actually worked as an usher at this theater when – at the uh, National when this thing opened. And, man, that was just the weirdest thing. I saw this movie so many times. Lucinda Dickey cannot dance. Uh, but you know what? Shabadoo, man. There's a guy named Shabadoo, and he's pretty fun. So that's all I can say. Anyway – these guys, uh, these two movies were just a weird phenomenon at the time. And then the last double feature uh, from Shot Factory is uh, Eddie and the Cruisers and Eddie and the Cruisers 2, Eddie Lives. Uh, what I love about the sequel is it takes all the mystery out of the previous film. If you look at this and you go, wow, Eddie and the Cruisers and then Eddie and the Cruisers 2, Eddie Lives, and you watch Eddie and the Cruisers first, the fact that you know there's a sequel called Eddie and the Cruisers 2, Eddie Lives, makes the first film po- utterly pointless. But the first movie was a, that was a good movie. The first was a good movie. It was an okay film. It yeah. was yeah, it was all right. It was a legit it was, film. It was a legit film. It put Michael Pere on the map, and it uh, it had some good music, and it really really was kind of a surprise hit at the time. So uh, apart from the fact that they put that just completely unnecessary sequel on here, I, hey, Eddie and the Cruisers on Blu-ray is for nostalgia freaks certainly a good thing to do. All right, Mark. Now we have two others. Oh, from this is the greatest moment of my life, and I know what you're saying. Class of 1984 is a movie you have been waiting for your entire life. That's the one I wanted yeah, to talk about. So we have two movies here, uh, both of them in collector's editions, and they're being released uh, in tandem, kind of because they're a little bit sort of the same in some respects, I guess. No, they're not. Clearly. One is an all-time classic, <laughs> my, one of my favorite films of all time. The other one is Class of 84. So clearly somebody over there said, you know what, I'll bet we could get more sales of Class of 1984 if we release it the same week as Escape from New York. Uh, both of them in collector's editions, because then everybody will think that they're kind of the same. I mean, they're sort of a warriors-ish, post-apocalyptic-y... Um, like roving gangs roving of Roving gang vigilante like, thing. Exactly. Sort of, yeah, you, you kind of can sort of tandem them together if you, if you really think, stretch it. Uh, but anyway, so yes, look. Um, escape, give, 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 look, give, give me this one. Knock it out. First knock of it all, out. I know all about this. Yes, you do. First of all, it's Escape from Effing New York. <laughs> I have seen this movie. I, I You know what? I would probably say that Star Trek II, The Godfather, and Escape from New York might be, might be or maybe like Airplane. I mean, if, if I were to list 10 films I've seen the most of any films, it, Escape from New York would be in that list. Have I mentioned I took my mother to see Escape from New York opening day? <laughs> All right, so here we have... Okay. My little my little five foot two German-born mother who walked out thinking, you know, I really like that, uh, I like that black man's car. 
<laughs> I, like, I thought I thought that was really that was neat. That's the greatest. Okay. She had no idea who he was, Isaac Hayes or whatever. She just like, yeah, I liked him. That Duke, that 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 black actor, Duke, and in, in his car with the chandeliers. My mother was obsessed with the chandeliers in the Cadillac. I for the, to save my soul, I have absolutely no idea why. It was the strangest conversation the whole way home. Look. And she said nothing about the violence and the, just the incredible brutality of it. Didn't flinch. Oh. It was just, yeah, it was a fun film. I own the John Carpenter scores. I know you did. I own that John Carpenter score. It's a terrible score. Oh, it's so good. You can't can stop that. It's terrible. fighting words. I played the crap out of that score. Oh, my God. It's so good. Yeah. I, I can sing half the cues. <laughs> hey, look. It looks great. It's got a low budget. And, you know, it's from the 80s, so it's not going to look crisp and beautiful, but it's definitely an improvement over the previous Blu-ray, which you just throw away, and definitely an improvement over the previous DVD, which I still owned up to this moment. Uh, So it looks really good. The audio is in 5.1. It's pretty much, it sounds about the same as the Blu-ray, which is fine, whatever. It's all good. Um, The extras, really good extras. Pretty much everything from the uh, from the two disc DVD is there, including the documentary, a couple of theatrical trailers, deleted scenes. There's also a, a commentary with Kurt Russell and John Carpenter. The, the, the deleted scenes have a commentary with Kurt Russell and John Carpenter. And I'm also proud to say, because I love this movie and we love Shout Factory, yeah. that there's a, a second disc with all sorts of other features which is totally worth uh, listening to and watching. Um, you know, there's also, ladies and gentlemen, another audio commentary. It's with um, Deborah Hill and Joe Alves, the producer and the uh, production designer. There's also a new audio commentary, which is okay, with Adrian Barbeau and the DP, Dean Cundy. Now, Dean Cundy's interesting because... He's a great DP. Because he's a great DP, and he does give us a decent amount of insight into the making of the film. Adrian Barbeau was just a woman at the, at the time in the 80s known for her gigantic breasts, and that's basically it. <laughs> and for being married to, to John Carpenter. And for being married to John Carpenter. Yeah. But, um, yeah, otherwise, uh, I think this movie is great. I love this movie. I think this is pretty much as good as you're going to get regarding, uh, regarding packaged media treatments yeah. of this film. I would definitely 100% go get it if you love this movie. I would throw out the DVD, throw out the previous Blu-ray, go get this one. You know, it's a great-looking image considering the budget and considering the time it was made. And uh, the audio is good. And it's got two discs worth of extras. I'm telling you, Escape from New York. I, I just love it. I love this movie. It's a fantastic and I love, film. And I love the Blu-ray. They knocked it out of the park. They always do. Shout Factory just always kills it. And, you know, real quickly, Class of 1984, which is trying to piggyback on a little bit. I mean, not a terrible film. This was made in 1982. It was, it was kind of a... You know, it was one of those early '80s. Um, it was, it was, it was sort of trying to be another one of those things that the Blackboard Jungle did, and that a lot of youth films have done over time. There were a lot of them in the '60s, uh, some of them in the '50s, a few in the '70s. Every generation has them. You know, the the, the scary youth. Oh my gosh, the, the kids are getting just violent, and they have no empathy, and they're going to be horrible. And uh, uh, Mark Lester, this kind of sort of put him on the map a little bit. Uh, he would go on to do Class of 1999 as well as a couple of much more successful films, Commando, the uh, Schwarzenegger film, and, of course, Firestarter with Drew Barrymore. And, um, he, you know, it's, it's, it's competently made. It's not brilliant. Uh, it's noteworthy because uh, it was written, co-written by Tom Holland, who, of course, would go on to you know, be a director in his own, uh, in his own right. Uh, and it's got a few interesting uh, people appearing in the cast: Perry King, uh, Roddy McDowell, Timothy Van Patten. So I mean, it's got it's uh, it's got a few things going for it. But you know, other than other than that, it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a dated cult film. And then lastly, one more uh, double feature from uh, the Scream Factory line of Shout Factory, which I've got to say. I just have never understood the appeal of either of these films. I just think they are both so... The, the whole series, Ghoulies and Ghoulies 2. And yeah, I think Ghoulies were, was never my thing. And there were a few more. Well, gremlins. I like Gremlins. But the Ghoulies, Ghoulies and Troll and all those things, they were all sort of Gremlins knockoffs. And Ghoulies, just... The, the puppets are so stupid. They're just so dumb. This is from 1985. And uh, some people love these things as, as like camp classics. They were they were made by the, by Charles Band at the time, who you know had a little bit of a little bit of a, uh, a, a kind of a cult uh, exploitation factory going in the mid and early '80s, doing a lot of uh, American film market stuff, straight to video, and and they had a few hits, and Ghoulies was one of them. Uh, I think they did Motorama as well. No, it was a guy who used to work for Charles Band who who made Motorama. Actually, come to think of it, because I remember I had a meeting with him. 
And I, I did. <laughs> wait, 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 what's did, that noise? Is that a name dropping? Did, all he did was just rant furiously about Harvey Weinstein. It was like it was like he, he just. I guess Harvey had done something that made him unhappy, or he felt screwed over, and he just could not stop just frothing at the mouth about how he hated Harvey Weinstein. Anyway. Okay, so uh, there we go. That is our Shout Factory and Scream Factory line. Uh, what else do we got, Mark? We have a very interesting two-disc two set that if, you, uh, if you're a movie historian, you should really kind of rent this. Um, in 1933, there was a novel called Imitation of Life, and the novel was made into a movie in 1934 starring uh, Claudette Colbert, and it was also made into uh, a movie in 1959, a much more famous movie uh, directed by Douglas Sirk. And both of them are available on a terrific Blu-ray. I mean, really, I have to I have to give uh, Universal credit on this. They packaged both of these films onto one Blu-ray, and they actually added a couple of decent um, bonus features, including an, uh, a, a little documentary uh, and a couple of uh, feature commentaries. So the thing with Imitation of Life is that it was the uh, Douglas Sirk version is not that hard to find. The 1934 version is a little harder to find. It's one that a lot of people may not even know that I, Imitation I, of Life was even a movie before that. I didn't know. Uh, me, of all people. Uh, I mean, and I, and I like Imitation of Life, and I remember we, I had to write a paper on it in school, you know. But uh, honestly, the fact there's an earlier version, completely new to me. Earlier ver- version, it's about this, 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 uh, this businesswoman who's white, played by Cl- Claudette Colbert, and she has a black housekeeper, and the black housekeeper has this amazing recipe for pancakes that becomes like, you know, the basis of Colbert's you know, characters, you know, business and, and empire. Yeah. And so then there was the, the sequel, and not the yeah. sequel, the remake in 1959, yeah. which is all really people talk about because Douglas Sirk at the time was such a visually distinctive yeah. director who had a very melodramatic, soap opera-ish way about his movies. And it's really interesting when you take a look at these two films and how they were and how they are visually similar, but also different, and also how they treat the idea of racism at the time. Uh, so this is a really interesting little two-movie compilation here, Imitation of Life. I would uh, definitely check this out. Pretty cool. Uh, the Roommates is paired with A Woman for All Men in a Blu-ray double feature. Uh, I have to say I'm not really a fan of uh, either of these movies, um, so I don't really know why you would uh, rent them. Uh, there's really nobody in it who is remotely famous. Well, I guess Alex Rocco. Alex Rocco got shot in the eye in The Godfather, <laughs> so he does not get shot in the eye here. Um, however, he does get shot in the eye in The uh, Godfather. And then uh, The Roommates. Um, you know, his son, Mark Rocco, passed away. Mark Rocco's like, I mean, he was young. He directed Murder in the First, which my wife worked on. and uh, Really? A few other things. Yeah. He, he died. How did he die? He, I, it's just, I, 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 I may have been cancer. I can't remember. But it was yeah. a few years ago. I was shocked. I thought, wow. There's a, I mean, he was a young guy. He was in his 50s. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And anyway, Roommates is about uh, these young ladies. They uh, they go go away into the woods for the summer and of course they wind up getting into all sorts of crazy cat fights with a killer and then a woman for all men is about uh, this director he becomes obsessed with uh, this woman it's an exploitation thriller I, I i really didn't like either of them all right so we got a bunch of uh, interesting catalog stuff uh from the uh kino lorber studio classics line and also from olive i'll roll through these fairly quickly these uh, don't warrant a whole lot of attention each it's good to just let you know they're here and there's a few extras that are worth mentioning uh edgar Allan poe's tales of terror was the first of the roger corman Poe earthquake films. by the way where right now it just happened did it a little teeny earthquake you you weren't just sort of uh, passing wind or anything? I was not. Well, I've been known to do that, but uh, oh. this was an actual earthquake. Wow. Very I small. Know. I didn't even notice. You must be I'm more done. you must be more sensitive to those things. Well, no, you were talking and engaged in talking. Okay. But yet I was not. Edgar Allan Poe's Tales of Terror. Uh the first of the Roger Corman Poe films uh with Vincent Price, Peter Lorre and Basil Rathbone. Uh, you know, the Poe films are all a, a lot of fun. Uh they are uneven. But I think Tales of Terror is the one that seems to date the best. The Raven is the one that dates the worst. By the time Peter Laurie is growing feathers, people just cry. And one one reason... That's okay. One reason I think Tales of Terror works so well is it's a really good script by Richard Matheson. The, uh, you know, one of the great writers of all time. Certainly, certainly uh, does a great job. Uh, And, of course, this was done for AIP, the James Nicholson, Sam Arkoff group, and uh, a lot of fun stuff there. There's an audio commentary by Tim Lucas, a film historian, that hits just about all the major beats. Uh, We covered the the Poe films a little bit in uh, in Schlock when Ray and I made that doc. 
So, you know, I know a good bit about this. There's an on-camera interview with Roger Corman as well, which I always find funny because we did an on-camera interview with Roger Corman. And now every time I watch someone else's camera uh, on-camera interview with Roger Corman, I know exactly what went on. So I can kind of fill in the behind-the-scenes blanks. And uh, anyway, it's good. Corman's always good on camera. He does takes. He, he, he directs himself as an interview subject. It's the strangest thing I've ever seen, but he's good. And uh, the audio commentary is good. There's another audio commentary with uh, Vincent Price historian David Del Valle and actor David Frankham, which is also pretty good. And then uh, some trailers, and uh, that's about it. But it is, it's a, it's a, a well-overdue well, uh, Blu-ray. W.D. Richter, otherwise known as the guy who made uh, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the Eighth Dimension and then went away and didn't like do another significant film ever, for some strange reason. I mean, after, it's like one of the all-time great cult films, and then he just vanished. But he did do one other movie that kind of carries a little bit of attention, and that is Late for Dinner, which is also interesting because it was written by Mark Andrus, who wound up winning an Oscar for As Good As It Gets, and, uh, which is sort of his autobiography in many respects. So this is an interesting combination, the writer of As Good As It Gets with the director of uh, Buckaroo Banzai, uh, in Late for Dinner, which is, a, an, which is kind of a little bit like Somewhere in Time. Uh, it's, uh, it stars um, uh, Peter Berg, uh, now a hot director all on his own, and Brian Wimmer, along with Marsha Gay Harden and Peter Gallagher. And Brian Wimmer and Peter Berg are a couple of guys who uh, travel essentially from 1962 to 1991. And uh, it's the the excuse here is a cryonics experiment, which fair enough, whatever. It, it's you know it doesn't really matter. Um, but as a time travel thing, uh, it's it's got some some charm to it. It's surprise. It's much better than it has any business being. So that is now on Blu-ray as well. As is uh, Woman of Straw with Gina Lala Brigida and Sean Connery, uh, two of the most beautiful people who've ever been in a movie ever. This is directed by Basil Dearden, genius. And uh, based on a novel by Catherine Arley and uh, adapted, co-adapted by Stanley Mann. So there's some good talent here, made in 1964. And uh, kind, of a, kind of an interesting noir romance with some good twists and turns. And uh, I think definitely worth checking out. It's kind of faded away for some reason, but uh, it deserves to be rediscovered because Sean Connery is so good and Jean Little Brigida is just delicious. And then, speaking of delicious, um, Gina Lola Brigida also stars alongside the, well, Mark would think she's delicious, Shelley Winters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the super delicious Phil Silvers. Oh, yeah. And the even more delicious Telly Savalas. Meh. <laughs> and Melvin Franks. Buona sera, Mrs. Campbell. Uh, Lee Grant is in this as well. I mean, this is this is actually uh, a surprisingly fun film that dates really quite well, and I just I just I think this is really really well worth discovering. Uh, this is when you talk about studio classics. I don't know if this is actually a studio classic, but it's certainly a film well worth looking at. It came from that period of UA when they were pumping out a lot of good stuff in the late '60s, and and then they changed hands, you know, and. Uh, became a new studio again when they started making the Rocky films but it you know they, those films from that late 60s period they've been sitting in vaults and they deserve to be rediscovered Wait this uh, kind of uh, skipped our gaze when it came out in uh, January but Working Girl Yeah Long Overdue Yes is on Blu-ray Yes This movie was up for like six Oscars Right and Harrison Ford Fla Gla Harrison Ford Melanie Griffith Sigourney Weaver all I'll say is that this is probably the Devil Wears Prada of its time I'm going to make a prediction uh, I'm going to make a prediction that, that you're ugly that Melanie Griffith yes that the Oscar nomination that she got for this movie yes last Oscar nomination she'll ever get wow you're going, going on a limb there Wade I am I am however uh, her daughters uh, started in Fifty Shades of Grey yeah that know, was the best thing about it yeah that, and her daughter looks more like her dad she looks like Don Johnson. She's oh, like, she's pretty. I, I know she's pretty, but there's but you you look at her and you still can't shake the fact that it's Don Johnson's daughter because there's a little bit of Don Johnson in the face and it's kind of it kind of scares me. <laughs> anyway, Working Girl was a bit of a phenomenon at the time. It really was a film of the moment. You know why? It was a, it was very much a film that tapped into the idea of women in the workplace and the whole glass ceiling and can women make it on Wall Street when it's a man's world that kind of stuff. I mean, now yeah. it's a bit it's a bit antiquated, yeah. but at the time. 
you know, that was a kind of a big deal. It was it was a very sophisticated comedy, like only Mike Nichols can do. And uh, but I think it still holds up as a script and as a film, it holds up, even though some of the some of the points, it's almost like nine to five, where some of the points it's making about women in the workplace feel a little. Yeah. Dated, it, it it does, you know. But still, Working Girls is a terrific film. It, it, it just it holds up as a good, solid comedy. I agree. And then uh, here are our Olive releases this week. Um, whole, I mean, I forgot half these films even existed. That's a great thing about Olive. They come out with this stuff, and you go, "Oh yeah, that existed." Doesn't mean you should watch it. I would recommend nobody watch Firewalker because, really, why? Um, How about Firestarter? No, Fire. Well, no, Firewalker. Here's the deal with Firewalker. You know, uh, Golan Globus uh, and and Canon Films, Malcolm Golan and Yoram Globus, they made just all kinds of junk in the mid '80s, and most of it starred Chuck Norris, uh, Delta Force, and you know, Missing in Action and all that crap. And then they did this crazy knockoff Indiana Jones movie with Chuck Norris and Lou Gossett, who had you know by now won an Oscar for. Uh, uh, for Officer and a Gentleman and was quickly trying to assassinate his career with stupid roles like this. And they made Firewalker where there are a couple of, you know, uh, gold diggers who are just looking in the jungle for... It's just... You, you can't believe this movie when you watch it. It's just so beyond silly. It really is. Um, directed by Jay Lee Thompson who's made many better films but, you know, Firewalker, stupid movie. Abbott and Costello in Dance With Me, Henry. Uh... I love Abbott and Costello. Uh, by, I don't. But don't get it. I'll. I, you know what? But this three is Stooges sort of, don't get it. I Abbott and lo- Costello don't get it. You don't get three Stooges? No, no, never have. But you get the Marx Brothers, the, the best. Marx the best, Brothers are right? the best. They well, are. no, no. Here's the thing. Groucho's the best. Okay. <laughs> no, if the Marx uh, Brothers didn't have Groucho, both. they'd be the Three Stooges. Okay. <laughs> That's kind of true, but Harpo's so funny. Harpo's so funny. I you mean, love all that, like, physical Benny Hill oh, stupid I humor. It. I love it. So, anyway, uh, you know, as far as, as Abbott and Casella movies go, Dance With Me, Henry, I guess it's serviceable. I tend to like their, I, you know, like they meet Frankenstein, meet the mummy. Those are the ones that I tend to like a little bit. Uh, but this one's fine. It's perfectly fine. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's more of a serious film in many respects. Uh, but I, it's it's still you know perfectly enjoyable and uh, and has that studio sheen to it. So you know why the hell not? Um, and then a movie I don't recommend for anybody: Biodome. Uh, Pauly Shore and Stephen Baldwin. Truly a movie that just had no business existing. I'm surprised I've talked about it even as long as I have. Uh, that was from the period when Pauly Shore movies were uh, obligatory January viewing for people who wanted to kill themselves. Uh, Blue Sky. This is such a fascinating story. You know, Blue Sky was one of those Orion films that when Orion went bankrupt, remember they had that great run in the early 90s. They won sure. a whole bunch of Oscars in a row, right? They had, you know, Dances with Wolves and they had uh, Silence of the Lambs and they were like the company. They were the unbelievable company to beat. They were the, the Weinsteins of their day. And then they went under for some insane, un- godforsaken reason and a bunch of those Orion films sat on the shelf they they couldn't get them released nobody wanted to pick them up and they just sort of got caught in limbo in bankruptcy limbo Blue Sky was one of them and uh, Jessica Lange and Tommy Lee Jones how do you not how does a movie with that cast get caught in limbo uh, directed by Tony Richardson one of the great lions of the you know the uh, the British British cinema. British cinema you know from the uh, Angry Young Men period he directed 1963's best picture Tom Jones yes the you loneliness know. of the long distance runner Crying out loud, how does this movie get stuck in limbo? And sure enough, it did. But you know what? Uh, it finally, and it's basically about a military guy with a wife who's just out of control and, uh, and how they try to hold their family together. And uh, sure enough, man, this movie finally got released. It finally made it to, uh, to theaters. And sure enough, Jessica Lange wins Best Actress at the Academy Awards. Very deservedly. And uh, that's a wonderful fairy tale. This is now on Blu-ray from, uh, from uh, Olive, and I applaud them for doing so. Also one of the great films from the exploitation era, uh, Cooley High uh, finally makes it, uh, 1975. The, uh, really a, a seminal film, uh, and it, you know, set in the 1960s but released in the 1970s, and with a lot of really pertinent social commentary about both, both decades and how they contrast. Garrett Morris, really good performance in this thing. A uh, fantastic performance by Lawrence Hilton Jacobs from Welcome Back, Cotter, who, of course, would go on to play uh, Joe Jackson in the uh, TV miniseries on the Jackson family. I mean, really, it's, uh, Cooley High is a, a great film that dates very well, I think. 
And then lastly, The Wicked Lady with Faye Dunaway and Alan Bates and John Gielgud, which tried to cap it. This is a Michael Winter film from uh, 1983 that way too late after the fact tried to capitalize on the uh, Richard Lester uh, Musketeer movies from the 70s. And had it been released closer to them, I think it might have done better. But uh, as it is, uh, the, uh, the story of Lady Barbara Skelton, uh, the, uh, you know, w- it, which is loosely based in fact, um, is just mildly interesting. And Michael Winner is not really the director for this. But that said, um, you know, this was, this was again Golden Globus trying to make canon into a legit film outfit and do some legit films in the uh, early to mid-80s. And uh, you have to kind of applaud them for the try, even though it's not entirely successful. Wade's Criterion Time. Oh, yeah. We got two good ones. Two great ones, actually. We have uh, Odd Man Out. This is from 1947, directed by Carol Reed, who, of course, is most famous for directing uh, The Third Man. And uh, here we have uh, James Mason. This is James Mason. No, no, you're James Mason. This is James Mason. Please don't. Anyway, the whole thing takes place, uh, like, all around the alleyways and darkened interiors and exteriors of Belfast, where this gang commits a political murder, and then for the rest of the film, pretty much, they're on the run. And it's a terrific film. It's so well shot. You know, Ireland has never looked so, you know, so forbidding and foreboding and creepy. It's, it's, it's got that noirish feel to it, you know, because, again, so much of the film is just shot like in alleyways at night, and it looks great. Uh, when it comes to special uh, features, we have, uh, I, I enjoyed a couple of these. Um, obviously, there's a, there's a new interview with a, a cinema scholar. It's pretty good. New interview with a music scholar talking about the music. Um, a documentary uh, featuring James Mason. Visiting his hometown, I, they didn't. I, I didn't have that much interest to me in terms of the movie, but I do love James Mason, so it's cool. Um, there's also a radio adaptation of the film from 1952, although you'll probably never listen to that for more than 30 seconds. And uh, so there you go, Odd Man Out, uh, an important film uh, for the era, a great film in the history of a director who, you know, I mean, he's directed great films. I'm very surprised that nobody has done like and like like a real appreciation of Carol Reed. It's long overdue. It really is. I mean, people know him basically for the third man and Oliver, and that's kind of it, <laughs> you know. So it, yeah, it is. It's long overdue that people start taking a look at his other stuff. I agree. Also, we have uh, Sullivan's uh, Travels. This is one of the great uh, comedies of the uh, 1940s. I mean, Preston Sturgis. You know, if if you guys want to really investigate one of like the first like writer director name brands. In cinema history, yeah. Preston Sturgis would have to be right up there. Totally. In terms of writing Absolutely. and directing. Absolutely. Right? He was right up there in terms of one of the very first. So gifted. So you know? gifted. So yeah. gifted. And this is one of his best films. That's why uh, you know Criterion has taken the care to release this on Blu-ray. It stars Joel McRae, who's starring a couple of his uh, – a uh, couple of uh, Sturgis' films. He plays this Hollywood director who decides he's tired of making lightweight movies and he wants to make a serious movie about human suffering. But, of course, he is reminded that as a Hollywood director, he knows nothing about human suffering. So he decides to um, dress up as a bum and uh, go around the country learning what it's like to be a hobo. And comedy ensues. It's a terrific film. So funny. It, it totally holds up. Veronica Lake is also in it. It's so beautiful. The Blu-ray itself is great. And it's really the price of admission almost worth it for the rise and fall of an American dreamer, which is like a 15 year old documentary. It's like things like almost an hour and a half. And it's all about Preston Sturgis and his life and his career. You get a sense of how important he was at the time and how important he remains in terms of uh, the continuum of writers and directors having their way, despite all the Hollywood interference that keeps them from doing the work they want to do. So it's great stuff. There's also director, uh, the uh, interview with uh, director's widow, Sandy Sturgis, from 2001, and uh, it's great. Uh, Sullivan's Travels. Now, thing is that I have a DVD set, a DVD set of all of Sol- of all of Sturgis's films. Oh, not all of them. There's like there's like eight. There's like eight of them. Yeah, like eight of them. But it's like it's all it's all the good ones. Fantastic. So I'm not sure, you know. So I really hesitated to pick this up yeah. and watch it and buy it, but I kind of had to. You kind of got to. You kind of have to. 
I got a, I got a trio of exploitation films here. Uh, this one is the most bizarre story. I mean, we all know stories of uncompleted films that take, you know, 10, 20, 30 years before they get finished or fixed or somebody rediscovers discovers some elements and inserts it. I mean, it, that, that happens every so often. This is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. I've never heard of the film originally. And then the story of it is just bizarre beyond belief. Gone with the Pope. Are you ready for this? Okay. I am. Exploitation director named Duke Mitchell. He makes this movie in the mid-70s, never finishes it, and then dies in 1981, okay? And the movie's unfinished. And then Sage Stallone and his partner uh, at Grindhouse Releasing, they pick this thing up in the mid-90s and decide it needs to be restored. And they spend 15 years basically putting the movie together, finishing a film that was shot in the mid-'70s, whose director has been dead since the '80s. Uh, to try to get this and and finally here it is Gone with the Pope and it's not very good but it's such a weird and eccentric and and wild and funky artifact with such a fascinating history that it's almost irresistible in some ways Um, this is a Blu-ray and DVD combo set from Grindhouse Releasing in a nice clear plastic case that uh, gives it that uh, special sheen and here's the idea behind the film you ready for this? No this is (laughs) the idea is that there's a guy who, played by Duke Mitchell, okay, the, the guy who directed it, um, there's a guy who wants to, this is how he's going to make his, his, uh, his million dollars, or his gazillion dollars. He's, this is how he's going to become rich. He's going to kidnap the Pope, and he's going to hold him for ransom, and the ransom is that every Catholic in the world will pay him one dollar. Ooh. <laughs> is that not the craziest thing you've ever heard? That's How like, would you do that? <laughs> you don't know. Would you like Kickstarter the, that or something? How would you do that? In the age of PayPal, that's a that's a. Yeah, I guess you'd PayPal that. Well, you would now, but in 1976, it's it's, it's, it's what is it? Mail order? Go down and get yourself a. a, a no, you put a dollar in an envelope. I guess. How do you know it wouldn't get wouldn't get stolen? It's the weirdest thing ever. Uh, Massacre Gun is from Arrow Video. This is a Blu-ray DVD combo as well, also in a clear plastic case. And uh, this is for people who just love completely unhinged, violent uh, Yakuza movies, uh, as bloody as they can possibly be. The um, uh, Joe Shiseido, who starred, you know, or Shishido, who starred in a lot of these things uh, way, way back, is, uh, is perfectly fine as this hitman who decides to just go completely ballistic on the mob. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a violent Yakuza movie. There's really not anything more than that to the plot. Um, the, uh, the director is noteworthy only because he used to work with Seijin Suzuki. So uh, Yasuharo Hasebe, um, not a legendary director by any means. You know, he, he's, he did things like Female Prisoner, Scorpion, and, and you know, other assorted exploitation titles, in, in, or Japsploitation titles, which is... Not a politically correct term, but that's what they often call them. Uh, the only thing that's really significant here, I think, that makes it wor- uh, that beyond uh, beyond the movie that's really kind of interesting, is the uh, interview that they have with uh, Tony Raines, who's a great film historian and really contextualizes it in an interesting way. And then uh, we also have from uh, the Redemption line, which is now being released through Kino Lorber, Volume 2 of the Pete Walker Collection. If you have Volume 1, you know exactly what you're getting into. If you don't have Volume 1... Uh, you might want to rent one of these things because they're they can be they can be really uh, they can test your uh, your stomach. He's not exactly Herschel Gordon Lewis, but his movies are kind of violent and bloody. Uh, the titles should tell you enough: The Flesh and Blood Show, Frightmare, House of Mortal Sin, and Home Before Midnight. Uh, there's also a bonus Blu-ray disc here with the the big switch and Man of Violence on it. So, uh, you know, if you if you know what you're getting into with Pete Walker, then go knock it out. Uh, you'll you'll have a grand old time with all this just horrible stuff. Uh, a lot of really great special features here: uh, interviews with Pete Walker and uh, a you know a 3D se- a sequence from Flesh and Blood show, um, an audio commentary with Pete Walker on Frightmare. Uh, and on House of Mortal Sin and uh, featurettes, you know, uh, on all of them. It's, uh, you know, so for Pete Walker fans, this is a big deal. And if you have the first volume, you kind of got to get this one. Says you. Says I. On Wings of Eagles, Wade, Burt Lancaster, Richard Crenna. Ooh. This is a, a two-disc, this is a mini-series. 
So this thing is like 220 minutes. Uh, is this any good? It's 1978, and uh, a couple of American executives are arrested, and uh, they're held hostage in Iran. So uh, now, now you have to understand, at the time when the story really happened, yes, when these uh, this, this is a true story, mm-hmm. when uh, these two executives get uh, captured and held in Iran, sure. H. Ross Perot, oh yeah, played I know by this Richard Crenna, I remember this. Is the guy who tries to secure their release. Oh, H. I Ross Perot, of course, became maybe after like John Anderson, yeah. the first serious independent presidential candidate. Yep. So this is on Wings of Eagles, and uh, it was popular for the time. It definitely made a lot of, it definitely made a splash. Uh, the cast is not, I mean, the cast, look, the cast is Burt Lancaster, great. Richard Crenna, who I actually met back in the day when I was doing talk shows, and is a wonderful man. Um, Paul Lamatt is also in it. Um, so it's based, based, on, based on the Ken Follett book. At the time, Ken Follett had, had a lot of his books made into either films or miniseries. It's fine. You know, it's totally fine. Got a lot of action. Uh, you know, for TV, at least got a lot of action, and uh, your parents might know what it is. Well, I'll say is your parents might know what it is on Wings of Eagles. All righty. Um, Mark? Yes, ma'am. I've got a ton of kid vid here. Uh, you want me to try to blow through this in about five or six minutes? Shall I do this? I, I, been... In the sense I'm supposed to time you? Yeah, let's see. Let's, let's do Whoa. it, because we've got some, we some TV to get to here, Whoa. so let's, let's try to make I'm this. time you. Okay. Do this thing. No, five or six. Let's do seven. Give me seven. Give me seven minutes, and that'll give us time to to finish off with some TV and maybe some foreign. You ready? I'm ready. Three, two, one, Boris. Okay. So I've been throwing a lot of this stuff on, and uh, just to see if my daughter responds to it, uh, because she's into a lot of stuff now. We have her watching Wallace and Gromit, you know? Uh, So she's graduating. Wasting time. Okay. So The Aviators, voiced by Brad Garrett and Jeff Foxworthy, uh, you know, a lot of of animated critters flying around, not all in interest, not really didn't catch her her fancy any. Uh, Fantastic set here, Batman versus Robin with a little Batman figurine. Uh, this is actually really quite good from the uh, you know the animated DC people. I, I I think some of these things just keep getting better and better, and I keep saying that they've they've got to get these guys to write the movies. Uh, some great Blu-ray exclusives here, especially uh, these fe- the feature at um, Gotham's uh, Gotham City's Secret, the Mythic Court of Owls, and the Talons of the Owls. Uh, really really cool, and it, that doesn't give it away. The uh, the bad guy here is Talon. I thought that was really cool. My daughter didn't respond to it at all. Uh, Power Rangers Super Mega Force. The Perfect Storm got nothing out of her because Power Rangers are apparently strictly a boy phenomenon. So that was uh, that was a non-starter. Bark Ranger, uh, with John Lovitz doing the voice of Ranger, uh, is one of these things that I guess gets the family seal of approval. This is, of course, not animated. This is just straight uh, family-oriented kid vid stuff. Uh, did not really get any interest out of my daughter, who actually normally loves dogs and bears. She loves the Berenstain Bears for some godforsaken reason. Uh, Yellow Bird, cute, really enjoyable. Uh, nice little animated uh, tidbit from Recon Hill by way of Lionsgate. And uh, Seth Green, Dakota Fanning, Danny Glover, Elliot Gould, Richard Kind all do some really, really wonderful voice work and uh, a surprisingly good film. Really enjoyable, good bird animation. Uh, very funny. Chuggington, uh, you know, it's he, he's a Chuggington. He's, he's a train. Chuggington oh, Fire Patrol I thought, I thought Rescue. He drinks. He chugs beer. Nah, there's just six more episodes from the Chuggington series. This just keeps on chugging out. And uh, if you like it, you like it. If you know your kids don't like it, then don't buy it. Uh, Monster High keeps coming out with really cool uh, Blu-ray editions. This is a Blu-ray and ultraviolet set. Haunted. Monster High Haunted. The uh, you know I never really respond to this thing, but the animation's good. It's it's solid. So uh, that's that's probably worth checking out if your kids enjoy it. It's for older kids, really. Um, from PBS Kids, I always enjoy these a lot. Uh, dinosaur Train Explore Outdoors. I've always hated Dinosaur Train, but my daughter suddenly loves dinosaurs. As I guess all kids eventually do. So I'm obligated to watch a lot of Dinosaur Train now, and it's kind of strangely growing on me, and I'm learning a lot from the little educational segments about dinosaurs. I feel like I'm 12 all over again. Uh, Also from uh, PBS Kids, Wild Kratts, Sharktastic. Uh, This also tries to be educational. This is less engaging than uh, Dinosaur Train, but still uh, a notch above the usual. 
Uh, Teen Titans Go, Appetite for Disruption. As Mark and I have talked many times, we are creeped out by the whole idea of these strange junior versions of DC superheroes. Uh, Other people's kids apparently are not. The Tom and Jerry Show, Funny Side Up. Three hours of more recent uh, Tom and Jerry stuff. Uh, which kind of harkens back a little bit to original Tom and Jerry stuff. So you got uh, 13 episodes here that are they're perfectly fine, uh, enjoy relatively enjoyable. They they certainly pay homage to the original stuff in a decent way that's uh, respectful. Stella and Sam, wonderful animation. This is seen on Sprout, which is affiliated with PBS, and uh, they have a lot of really great animation. These the uh, the artwork, of course, is uh, faithful to the original book series of Stella and Sam, and uh, the there are uh, about ten episodes here that are really really sweet. Uh, so that that is faithful to the original source material. Uncle Grandpa is uh, from Cartoon Network. Twelve episodes. This is the this is Good Morning, and this is not really for kids. Uh, there are 12 episodes that just kind of creep me out a little bit. And uh, the Cartoon Network stuff, I can't ever quite figure out for whom the audience is. Because this is not for me and this is not for kids. But uh, I guess it's for dirty old men who just want to see themselves animated, maybe. Thundercats, the complete series, finally on Blu-ray. Um, good animation, not really for me. But, uh, you know, go for it if you want. Uh, Caillou. Also from PBS Kids, Caillou is a Canadian uh, animated series that apparently is really good for kids' cognition and education. Most people just find him whiny and wonder why he's bald, uh, which I still don't understand. But anyway, it's the 25th anniversary, three DVDs in this. This is Caillou's can-do collection with Big Kid Caillou, Caillou the Everyday Hero, and Caillou's World of Wonder. Caillou's always learning important lessons about life, but he never grows any hair. Maybe he needs to go meet Charlie Brown and they can get some kind of baldness remedy together. PBS Kids Birthday Party for Really Young Kids. Word World Building Readers. Uh, We're trying to get my daughter to learn to put letters together. She knows her letters now. We're trying to get her to understand that they form words. And uh, this didn't exactly help. Uh, So I, I don't know if I can fully recommend it. Maybe it'll help when she gets a little older. Slug Terra, Slug Fu Showdown is a feature-length Slug Terra uh, adventure. This is kind of, you know, more American adaptation of, uh, of anime style and uh, a little bit for older kids, serviceable. Littlest Pet Shop, Pet Shop Pals. Oh, there I go. Am I out of time? Did it, did it, did it zip? It, it will soon enough. Okay. Uh, Littlest Pet Shop, Pet Shop Pals. Uh, you get uh, five episodes plus a bonus sing-along here. Um... Paddington, one of my favorite films of last year, which was released in the U.S. actually in January, but released in the U.K. in November. Um, uh, I was scolded by my good friend Charles Solomon for liking the movie because the real Paddington in the uh, in the eyes of an animation expert is the original animated Paddington, the stop-motion Paddington based on the books. And this is the complete uh, Paddington Bear Collector's Edition. And uh, it's, it's lovely. It's sweet. I, it's Surprisingly, I didn't realize it's the same story that they had in the movie. So I, uh, I'm kind of endeared now by this. This is from Mill Creek. And uh, this is a three-disc set, Paddington Bear Collector's Edition. Worth checking out, but not to the exclusion of the movie. I'm um, not going to talk about those. Hold on. Let me... How close am I? I don't know. Okay, I'm going to cut through a bunch of Nickelodeon titles really quickly. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Retreat. This is more of the more recent Ninja Turtles animation style that I'm not fond of. Blue's Clues, which I totally despise. Four and a half hours. Get clued into school pack. There we go. I'm out of time. Ha ha. Yeah. uh, Okay, wait for you. One minute of overtime. One minute of overtime. I despise Blue's Clues. I just think it's the dumbest show ever. But little kids just love the just daylights out of it. Uh, alphabet power blue takes you to school shapes and colors for really little kids I guess it's good The Legend of Korra is always very very impressive animation this is book 4 Balance on Blu-ray with a lot of extras tons of extras so if you're into The Legend of Korra which is I guess if I were you know 13 I'd be loving it it's cool Uh, Dora's Mermaid Adventures Collection is a uh, Nickelodeon gift set with Dora Saves the Mermaids and Dora's Rescue in Mermaid Kingdom. I just am so turned off by Dora, and she's aging now, so she's like getting into puberty, and it's kind of creeping me out. But people love Dora. A friend of ours in the UK, his daughters can't get enough of Dora. And then SpongeBob SquarePants, the pilot, a mini-movie. 
uh, yeah, I uh, this is you know the pilot in the square shorts is, is what this is. I just still don't get this, but you know who am I? And I think that does it. Yeah, that does it. All right, Mark. Well, how do you do? We're all done. Wait, if you're an, if you're uh, if you're a, let me try that again. If you are a Western fan, which I am, and if you are a Wyatt Earp fan, which I had, I had my phase of reading all about Wyatt Earp and the Wild West. From scholarly perspective, not from like a lame, you know, perspective, yeah. cheesy perspective, you might want to check out uh, a little movie from 1971 called Doc. And this one stars Stacy Keach as the world-famous tubercular dentist who uh, befriended Wyatt Earp and was uh, involved in the gunfight at the OK Corral, and uh, Faye Dunaway as um, Katie Elder, his Goyle friend. This and also Harris Yulin, the old character actor who was kind of born to play those Western roles. Um, what I like about this movie, and it was a bit of a surprise to me, directed by Frank Perry, um, it sort of takes a different tack. It's not like super. I mean, there's a lot of action, horse riding, and gunfighting, whatever, but it's not like a super action film. It's a little bit more philosophical. It's a little bit more psychological in terms of what it was like to really live in the West. And on that score, I kind of really appreciated it. I mean. You know, obviously these these um, cowboys were all, you know, vaguely literate, and the script by Pete Hamill is true to the idea that these cowboys were vaguely literate, can barely speak uh, in decent sentences, and yet every once in a while they'd break out into some philosophical speech about existence, which like is totally, in a, you know, it's totally not what these cowboys would ever say, because they could barely put two words together. So the script, while authentic and the cadence and the words of people who are uneducated, sometimes lapses into these philosophical little digressions that don't really Mm -hmm. make much sense. But um, it's interesting. I appreciate it. A whole new take on the Western genre, Doc, starring Stacey Keach. And uh, if you like the genre, I would check that out. Sweet. Well, I let's see. I will do a few foreign things, but and I'll let you. Uh, well, th- you mean th- things that are foreign to me or foreign to other people? Foreign titles. Oh, you said you do some got foreign some, things. Got some good foreign titles okay. here, and then we'll and then we'll launch into the TV. So I'll let you get kind of set up with the TV while I uh, talk about Goodbye to Language 3D, the Godard film that I just don't get. Um, there was a funny exchange when I reviewed this on NPR with Henry Sheehan, and Henry talked about the importance of you know closing one eye when you watch parts of the film because Godard does things with the the separation that he you know the images just start playing with your optic nerve like he'll send one image one direction the other one the other direction and you, you you do have to sort of close an eye to make sense of what's on the screen he's messing with you and my comment was I wanted to watch it with both eyes closed uh, which I just think this is the most pretentious thing in the world it just makes no sense but there's there, there is a rhyme and reason to it I just I could not bring myself to focus on it it's just shots of dogs and, and naked people and it just on and on and on it goes and it's just insufferable and um, anyway this uh, this thing has a 3D version on disc 1 a 2D version on disc 2 both of them Blu-ray and the 2D version it, you know it, it it's not the true version of the film because Godard wanted this thing to be seen in 3D because he's so experimental but I just wish he'd stop it with these essays these endless endless essays uh, and then uh, also of note, King of Masks is out again on uh, DVD from First Run Features. I wish this would come out on Blu-ray. This was released originally by Samuel Goldwyn. Wonderful Chinese film about a puppet uh, master in China who um, basically raises uh, a young girl uh, as a boy. And uh, it, is, it is truly a fascinating film. Um, it's, it's, just, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful film. Um, anyway, uh, it beautifully shot, very poignant, has a lot of sort of commentary about Chinese society and, and puppeteering and, and whatnot. Beautiful in, in every respect. Uh, and from Criterion, from their Eclipse line, Silent Ozu, a trio of uh, crime dramas that Ozu made that are not often paid attention to because they're very un-Ozu-like. Walk Cheerfully, That Night's Wife, and Dragnet Girl. All of them absolutely worth checking out from uh, the 1930s uh, before Ozu sort of became the guy that we all know him as. And it's interesting to see his style evolve. No extras here, but a great set for Ozu fans. And then the big zingers from Criterion this week, uh, Cries and Whispers, the Ingmar Bergman film, and uh, The River from Jean Renoir. Both of them brilliant films by great European masters. 
absolutely uh, essential to any collection. I would say The River is one of the, maybe the more important film here. And I know a lot of people would disagree with me. But, uh, you know, Jean Renoir uh, shooting a color film for the first time in his career in India. And uh, so many unusual elements go into this film. And so much, uh, it's just so novel and so hypnotic in so many respects. Uh, and lots of great extras here. It, this is one of the, I mean, they always talk about, you know, their titles being film schools in a box. This one really, honestly, truly is. There's so much richness to how the film was made and what it represents, and uh, really, really great, especially a 2008 documentary uh, about the making of the film is just absolutely essential. A Martin Scorsese interview is just, you know, more Martin Scorsese rambling, but uh, in a very intelligent way, of course. And then Cries and Whispers, not my favorite uh, Bergman film, one of his more self-indulgent efforts by the time he gets into the 1970s. He's sort of brooding a little bit too much in his movies. I much prefer his work in the in the 1960s, but uh, still, it's a very good film. Uh, you know, it, it's arduous at points because of the the, the storyline. If you if you know what's going on here, you know the handicapped sister and crawling on the floor, and some of the stuff that's revealed in this family, the the, the you know cancer. All of this stuff is so heavy and brooding. But there's really really good uh, stuff in the extras. New interview with uh, Harriet Anderson. And that's conducted by Peter Cowie, who does a lot of commentaries, and really wonderful stuff. So there's, uh, it's, it's absolutely worth checking out. All right, let's wrap it up with some TV. Signed, Sealed, and Delivered, the entire series from the Hallmark Channel. This is a very weepy thing from the executive producer of Touched by an Angel. So if you know it's from the executive producer of Touched by an Angel, you already know what it is. It's all based on, uh, like, there's a letter, and the letter changes somebody's life, and it's all about that. So if you're a woman, uh, go for it. Um, in Discovery, Naked and, Naked and Afraid, season one. The only reason why Naked and Afraid became popular or even notable is because um, uh, James Franco and uh, did, a, did an episode of uh, – and Seth Rogen oh. did an episode of Naked and Afraid to promote uh, the interview. Oh, good grief. Which, of course, wound up being a whole other thing. Anyway, these are about uh, people who survive in uh, very exotic lands. They're naked and they're afraid. <laughs> A Haunting, uh, Season 7. Um, this is uh, Supernatural Stories. I didn't really like any of these, didn't buy any of these, didn't quite get it. Uh, but again, uh, we love uh, Shout Factory. So A Haunting, Season 7. I didn't even know there were six previous seasons of The Haunting, or of A Haunting, but uh, what the hell do I know? Um, me- Metal Hurland Chronicles. Now, this is one of those... Metal, Metal Hurland, I should point out. Yes. Uh, this will make sense to nobody, who, unless you've lived in France. Metal Hurland is the French edition of heavy metal. Metal Hurland is heavy metal in French. Uh, it's not completely the same, but this is adapted from the French version of heavy metal. That's the origin of this. Well, yes. It's, it's the popular comic book, heavy metal. It's... it's in, they have it made into a television series. It's got uh, Rucker Hauer in it and James Marsters and all sorts of crazy people who are like, okay, Michael Jai White, Kelly Brook. Um, you know, it, it's, it looks pretty good. Some of the episodes are okay, but I just got to say this is it's, it's not great. Uh, the Missing is on Blu-ray. This is the Stars series. Stars is getting off to a bit of a slow start regarding its original stuff. They certainly can't hold a candle to Netflix or HBO or Showtime. Uh, it's all about this guy who, who uh, is this kid who disappears while he's on holiday in France. And, of course, they got it. It takes like 10 years to find the kid, or maybe they don't. Not going to tell you. And it's all called The Missing. Uh, Dean Martin, Celebrity Roast. I have to say that I did get the uh, Wade. Actually, I, I don't want to don't want to admit this, but Wade got for me the box set of Dean Martin, Celebrity Roast. This beautiful yep. box set. I had uh, a Phil Klein. Yes. My friend Phil Klein come over to watch one of them. Dud. Really? So, so not funny. <laughs> horrible. Just horrible. <laughs> You know, like remember, I, you remember them better than they they really were. Yes, yeah. Yes, I yeah. thought I thought they were just hilarious, but uh, they're duds. Yeah. Anyway, we have Dean Martin celebrity roast stingers and zingers featuring Michael Landon, Valerie Harper, Joe Namath, Red Fox, a lot of good comics, and then the uh, single DVD. Dean Martin celebrity roasts, including uh, sports heroes Mickey Mantle, Hank Aaron, Joe Garagiola, and Willie Mays, Walker Texas Ranger. This is one of his uh, Walker Texas Ranger movies. This is only at Walmart, which is to say that if you go to Walmart, you probably like. Walker, Texas Ranger. The Jerry Anderson collection. Uh, we all we talked about Jerry Anderson a couple weeks ago. Timeless is releasing all of these now, anew since A A and E lost the uh, lost the licenses. Uh, this one is um, Joe ninety. This is Joe ninety. It's about a scientist who creates this this machine that can tra- like it can transfer knowledge from one person to another. So what happens such a there? Weird, such a weird show. Exactly. This uh, is this is one of the ones that doesn't really work very well. 
another Hallmark uh, thing we got going on, Mom's Day Away. Did I watch Mom's Day Away? Hell no. <laughs> I, because I took a look at it and said, I'm not going to like it, but I'll let you know it's around. Mom's Day Away from the Hallmark Channel. Little House on the Prairie Season 5. If you're a completist, go for Season 5. If you're not, there's no reason to start in Season 5. Although I have to say, they do uh, they do, do a good job it's with shock- the extras. It's shocking that they're putting these out on Blu-ray. It really is. I wouldn't have thought the Little House Prairie cra- Little House on the Prairie crowd would be Blu-ray fans. I, but so many other shows, it should be on the list ahead of them, but whatever. Just release the whole thing. Just release the whole series, for Christ's sake. Uh, very controversial film, Whitney. This is uh, directed by Angela Bassett. Um, this stars uh, Yaya DaCosta as Whitney Houston, the late Whitney Houston. You know, this film wasn't actually terrible. Uh, because it was on Lifetime and because it was Whitney, everybody just figured, oh, this is going to be just a campy free-for-all. But when they decided to uh, you know, hire Angela Bassett to direct it, you're like, well, okay, this might be a thing. You never know. And it really is one of the better Lifetime cheeseball movies. In fact, it's kind of less cheeseball than normal ones, will mainly because get- of Angela Bassett. Will she get more directing work? Absolutely. Good. Well, I mean, she won't because she's a woman and she's African-American and it's movies. But uh, yeah. that's, and that's the tragedy of it. But what are you going to do? Uh, King of the Hill, complete ninth and tenth season. Uh, I was never a big fan of the show. This is on uh, DVD, not Blu-ray, from Olive Films. And, of course, Olive is taking over. It's funny, like Fox, yeah. who we talked about last week, how they, they discontinued The Simpsons. But at least they're letting someone else right. mine this now. They're not going to do that with The Simpsons. Correct. Yeah. Uh, so King of the Hill, seasons 9 and 10, never a fan, but people do love it. So, I like uh, it. My wife, of- I never liked it originally, but my wife just couldn't get enough of it. And so now we watch them on a regular basis. Because you're, you like bad comedy. I guess. I guess so. All right. Well, that is it for this week. Um, uh, Mark, are you looking forward to? Uh, are you looking forward to the Avengers? Uh, I am. Yeah. I am looking forward to right? it. I, I, you know, the first one. I think that it was it was a very difficult assignment. Joss Whedon did pretty much about as good a job as you could possibly do. You know, you had to hand it to him. He had a lot yeah. of he had a lot of money to juggle. He had a lot of uh, very nervous uh, shareholders yeah. and executives. He had he had all sorts of A list stars. He had what to do juggle. you think? What do you think about the Russos taking over for the next two films? You know, interesting, I, right? Uh, you know, Marvel they they do not commit to directors long term like that. But I have to say that second Captain America film, Winter Soldier, was really solid. It was good. It was really solid. Totally good. Yeah. So yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I am too. All right. With that, we are done. See you next week.